This sermon is brought to you by Shadow State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a good teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracles and the, or excuse me, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God wasn't with you. Basically, what Nicodemus is coming in, he's saying, Jesus, uh, hey, us, us Pharisees, us Sadducees, we were getting together. We, uh, we recognized that you were doing things like feeding thousands of people with like a sandwich, and you were like, you know, uh, walking on water and doing these things that, you know, uh, normal people can't do. Um, and we decided, we got together, we decided that that's not normal. And so uh, the only way we feel like you could do this is if God was with you and God was the one performing this. God was the one who was doing this. So really, I'm here in the middle of the night. I've come here under cloak and, and hid my privacy while coming here uh, because I'd like to see who you are. Continuing in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their, mother, to, into their mother's womb and be born. There's a lot of debate here within this piece of scripture whether or not Nicodemus was completely ignorant. And he was like, uh, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you're kind of sounding like a crazy man here. Um, how can you be born again? There's another party that believes that Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about, and he was playing stupid because of the way that it is worded, um, ties into Scripture within the Old Testament as far as water and spirit. And he was kind of just being sarcastic almost towards Jesus. I don't know which way I believe, but um, no matter what, you've got to know that Jesus, I mean, common sense would say that Jesus wasn't referring to you literally crawling back into your mother in order to be born again. And so obviously Nicodemus knew that that's not what Jesus was referencing, but yet he was sarcastic in reply. That kind of shows you what's going on here in this uh, conversation. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. That's what I was talking about as far as Nicodemus uh, tying what he was talking to into Old Testament. Flesh gives to birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So Jesus is basically saying here that a physical birth, when we're born as infants, now, like I said, there's some debate as to what exactly Jesus was referring to, whether he was tying this into the Old Testament or not. But no matter what, Jesus is saying that our physical birth, us being born on this earth, that that simply, that process of being born was not enough to enter us into right standing with God and that there was more that had to be done. That as we existed, as we were born, it didn't matter the second you were born, that that wasn't enough to enter us into right standing with God. Continue verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? 
I kind of like this because I feel like Jesus is taking Nicodemus' sarcasm and throwing it right back in his face. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus is like, I thought you said you were a teacher. You don't know what I'm talking about? Almost just calling him out is great. But the thing about Nicodemus is Nicodemus was considered an upright citizen. In fact, he was considered like the upright citizen of upright citizens. This dude was, a, was considered the best of the best. He was the, the good guy. He was the best guy. He was the, the guy that you wanted to be more like in your walk with God. He was the guy that you looked up to and you were like, that guy knows God. That guy is close to God. I can see it. It permeates from him because he's such a good guy. That's who Nicodemus was. And it's so powerful to me because a lot of times when we're talking about testimonies and we're talking about testimonies from God, a lot of times we figure uh, or we, we start to look at the, the alcohol abuser, the drug addict, drug addict, the guy whose life was just in shambles, who was at absolute rock bottom in order to see his transformation to Christ. Looking at him saying, man, God took away drugs. I mean, my own story, uh, I was an alcoholic. God took away my alcohol problem. He took away my alcohol addiction. Uh, he took away my depression. He took away all these things. You look for these huge uh, trans, uh, transitions from that kind of life to the life of being good. But what's going on here is that we are reminded that God came back for both the people who are broken and the people who are good. The person who is a good person still needs Jesus just as much as the person who is at rock bottom. The person who is an outright citizen, the person who makes all the right decisions in life, the person you look up to but isn't a Christian, Christ died for them just as much as the person that hit rock bottom. And Jesus is saying here, Nicodemus, even though you are the best of the best of these guys, even though you're, you're a Pharisee of Pharisees, even though you are the, the guy we look up to as Jews, you, sir, still need to be born again. That what you are doing is not enough to be in right standing with God. And so God, Jesus is saying, doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much of an upright citizen you are. It doesn't matter how solid your life is being lived. It doesn't matter that you are brought up in, in awesome, phenomenal family values. You still need to be born again. And so I want to share with you guys a little bit about me. Those of you guys who are uh, upperclassmen already know all this information. Um, but a little bit of background information about me. I grew up in a Lutheran home. Uh, when we, I moved, our family moved to Hemingford, and when we moved to Hemingford, I then was raised in a Methodist home. And uh, my family went to church every single week. Um, I was often at the church two, three times a week. My mom taught Sunday school at the Lutheran Church in Alliance. Um, we were the American Christian family. We went to church all the time. But even that, going to church all of the time, um, I was not a Christian. But I would have called myself a Christian. I would have been what would be considered, in my mind, the typical American Christian. I was born into a Christian home. We went to church. I knew the Bible. I memorized Scripture. I had to memorize Scripture in order to um, take communion. We went through the process. I was a Christian. I was born into this family. I'm a Christian. But even though I was born into a Christian family, I was what you would define as the American Christian kid. I wasn't born again until my junior year of college. 
And so there becomes this image where you begin to realize that being born in a Christian home, being raised in a Christian home, going to church every single week, going to, to Chi Alpha every single week, going to youth group every single week, going to prayer nights, going to Bible studies, going to all of these things, just because you attend them and just because you've attended them your whole life doesn't necessarily mean that you have been born again. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian because I am an example of that. I went to church all of the time. I never knew Jesus Christ, but I called myself a Christian. So the last thing I want in here is for any of you guys to fall into the same trap that I did most of my life. And continuing with uh, my past, uh, when I was in high school, um, I was a football player, a wrestler, a power lifter. I was, I was a good athlete. I was big, but I was fast. I eventually went and played uh, football at Colorado State. Um, I was an athlete. And at the same time, um, I just, I absolutely lived for sports. I, I loved sports. Any kind of sport that existed, I loved it. And in Hemiford, we had a class where it was one of the PE classes that basically the entire class was learning a new sport every single week. And so in this PE class, um, I'm not the kind of person that takes uh, competition lightly. Um, my wife and I, uh, we, are, we found out the hard way we can't play categories together because uh, I will sleep on the couch that night. It's was a catchphrase. See, I don't even remember, but I know we fought about it, and she remembers. But I get uh, very competitive, and so I've recognized uh, – certain things that I need to step back a little bit in because I take them a little too seriously. And well, when I was in high school, this was at its peak. My, uh, my love for competition and my hatred for losing was at an all-time high. And so here we are in high school and we're playing uh, indoor hockey. And they had the puck, they had the, the sticks and everything. And one of my teammates hit the puck clear over into the back corner. And I look around, and I'm the closest one to it. And so I just take off. And so I, I get up to speed, and I'm, I'm going. And I, like I said, I weighed like 265, but I was solid. And so I'm running as fast as I can. And I didn't see a single solitary person coming to me. And I had to, in my mind what I was going to do was I was going to keep up speed. I was going to slow down just a tiny bit, and I was going to pick up the puck. And I was going to turn with it, and I was going to continue my momentum and hopefully score in the amount of time that it would take for them to catch up to me. And so I had this in my mind. This is what I was going to do. This game plan is what I had all ready to go. About a half a second before I get to the puck, this girl comes into play uh, named Lindsay. She is all of five foot tall, maybe 90 pounds, soaking wet. And uh, she came into here with a different idea than what I had. Her idea must have been, because it's the only thing I can think of, was her idea was to get in before me, scoop it up, and take off before I come into contact with her. And uh, let's just say my plan was probably set up a little bit better than her plan was, because she comes right in front of me. She stops. My game plan is to keep going. You can't stop 265 pounds of all that is me that quickly. <clears throat> and so 
you get the picture of what happened. And you know when you're watching those cheesy movies and somebody gets hit by like a car and they kind of go flying all melodramatically? Like that's what this girl did. And a couple minutes later when she finally uh, came to a stop uh, on the floor, um, luckily she got up and, and she wasn't injured or anything. But needless to say, it looked a little bit like a bull rider uh, taking out a cowboy who just fell off. It just wasn't a pretty picture. What she needed in that moment wasn't anything short of someone else to step in and block me away from her. Didn't matter how good of an athlete she was. It didn't matter how fast she was. It didn't matter how well formulated of a game plan she had. When it came down to it and she was stuck there with the puck, probably time began to move really slow as she noticed me barreling towards her. In that moment, she needed a blocker. She needed somebody else. And we kind of get that picture with what we need in life. As we go out through life, it doesn't matter how good we are at hockey. It doesn't matter how good we are at sports. It doesn't matter how good we are at life. It doesn't matter how well we prepare, how well intended we are with our decisions and our actions. When it really comes down to it, we are simply over, in over our heads, and we desperately need someone to step in for us. And so my question to you tonight is, have you been born again? Ask yourself this, have I been born again? Because this is what God has done for us. He has given us the opportunity, um, and it is what he is doing uh, through us. Second Corinthians tells us that we are made new in Christ. A new birth, a new creation. You are no longer the forgiven version of your old self. You are transformed and made new when you were born again. You are a new creation in Christ. As you give your life to Christ, as you, you, you hand your life over to Jesus and you are born again, you are made new. And even though we are all sinners by choice and by nature, and it doesn't matter whether these sins are as small as cheating on a test or as big as murder, we are sinners by nature and by choice. But when we look at Scripture, there's around 300 times in the Bible that it lists man as sinners. It's very clear within Scripture, we are sinners. But there are only three places in Scripture that it lists Christians or God's people as sinners. Only three. And yet there are hundreds of times within Scripture that it refers to God's people as holy, as saints, as redeemed. And we get this picture that once we have been born again, we're not just the forgiven versions of ourselves that are exactly the same way we were before. When we are born again, it is as if we are standing before God, a brand new creation. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has come in and he has taken our sin and he has replaced it with his righteousness. In Scripture, oftentimes being born again was such a radical thing that the person was no longer called by the same name anymore. For example, Saul, a murderer of Christians, became Paul, a saint, who then goes on to write a majority of the New Testament. You guys know Paul, you know Saul. When you're born again, things simply change, radically change. 
And Jesus is telling us, we must be born again. He's not saying this is something that's good for you. He's not saying this is something that you kind of should probably want to have. He's not saying uh, all paths lead to God. He's saying you need to be born again. And if you are not born again, you will not go to heaven and you will go to hell. It's a little bit doom and gloom. It's a little bit fire and brimstone. But picture this. So you've got a man. Everybody close your eyes. You've got this guy, mid-30s. He's walking out in the pasture. This guy's a a sheep rancher. He's taking care of his sheep. And there's this big, huge storm coming. And so what he wants to do is before the storm hits, he wants to round up the sheep and he wants to get them all into the corral. And so he's out with his dog and he's walking around and he's trying to get the sheep in. And all of a sudden, he feels this intense pain in his calf. Just absolute horrible pain in his calf. And he looks down, and there's just two perfect little red dots. A lot of you guys already know where this is going. Two perfect little red dots. But he thinks to himself, I can't just abandon the sheep. I have to continue working. I have to continue doing this because of all the good it's going to do. If I leave and I abandon this right now, hundreds of sheep are going to die. I need to do this thing. And so he keeps moving the sheep. He keeps working. Eventually, after a few hours, he finally gets all the sheep put away. The pain in his leg has gotten worse. It's starting to, to smell a little bit, starting to turn different colors. You guys know that picture. It's just starting to get nasty. And so he does what any good rancher do, would do. He drives himself uh, 10 miles to town to go to the ER. When he gets there, the doctor immediately recognizes what's going on. He sees the two dots. He already has figured it out. You guys have probably already figured it out. And he says, hey, I, I need to take a small sample of this, but I'm pretty sure that I know what's going on. So he leaves the room really rapidly. He comes back just as rapidly. He walks in. Sir, uh, I've confirmed it. You've been bitten by a poisonous snake. If we don't amputate this leg, you will die. It's that severe. Now picture yourself as that guy. Imagine that feeling of, I have to amputate my leg. If I don't amputate my leg, I will die. I will be deceased. I will not live. Because in that moment, it doesn't matter how good you are. In In that moment, it doesn't matter how you've lived your life. In that moment, it doesn't matter how good you've been, the amount of work you've done, the good things you've done for your flock. In that moment, nothing else matters. There's nothing you could possibly do to save your leg. In that moment, the doctor is saying, if you don't cut off your leg, you will die. You guys can open your eyes. In that moment, Jesus is telling us the exact same thing. He's saying, if you are not born again, it doesn't matter what else you've done. It doesn't matter how you've lived your life. It doesn't matter because the sin is already within your system. You have already been a fallen race. You have been separated from a chance at eternal life. And in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, in order to not go to hell, in order not to die, you must be born again. Because I truly believe that the two biggest lies in America today are the thought that if I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. 
And the second one is that if God was a good God, he would never send anybody to hell. I think those two lies in America, okay, uh, those two lies in America have led to what the American church has become. The American church is, is flawed. It's jacked up. It's not right. It is not biblical Christianity. American Christianity and biblical Christianity are far away from each other, oftentimes. And I'm not saying every church, but I'm saying on, a, on the whole. And it's so frustrating because these two lies have led to generations who believe in Jesus Christ with their thoughts and their lips, but don't believe in Jesus Christ with their hearts or their actions. We've become a nation of people who decree and, and, decree and, and claim Jesus Christ. However, their lives are completely separated from it. Our God is a loving God. Sometimes we don't understand that love. Sometimes that love looks differently than we think love would look. Sometimes love is frustrating. Sometimes love is hard. And at the same time as we know God is loving, he also tells us that God is a just judge. And at the same time, God doesn't lie. He is going to do what he has set out to do. He is the ultimate authority. And he has told us there is a day of punishment. And when we're faced with things like we just prayed about, like hurricanes taking out thousands and thousands of homes, famines, unmentionable hardships. When we come face to face with these things, it becomes hard sometimes to not become bitter and angry and, and start to question God's motives. And that's exactly where I want to wrap up this sermon, is kind of continuing with these thought processes. Because what Jesus is saying is, behind the doom and gloom, behind the, the fire and brimstone, behind the statements of, you must be born again or you will go to hell, behind all of that is perfectly summed up in what we continue with, with John 3. We're going to continue in verse 14, John 3, verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Most of you guys probably have memorized John 3.16, and obviously this is leading up to that. We're in John 3.15. But I find that John 3.14 and 15 is pivotal in even beginning to fathom what John 3.16 really means and what John 3.16 is even saying. So in order to understand John 3.14 and 15, we have to go back to the Old Testament into Numbers 21 to find out what is being talked about. And so I'm going to read John 3.14 and 15 again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When we go to Numbers 21, we see what Jesus is talking about. Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water. 
and we detest this miserable food. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. See, this is tough because we see God sending venomous snakes on his people, and we can begin to look at this and say, man, God is a vengeful God. I tell you what, what they got is far less than what they even deserved. So starting and continuing verse 7, Then the people came to Moses and said, We sinned. So they're starting to recognize what happened, why the venomous snakes came. They say, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. What did they do? They just repented. They just said, we're sorry. We see our mistakes. I'm sorry. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, this is the beauty of John 3.16, because verse 14 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Just as the Israelites had to keep their eyes fixed upon the bronze snake, we too have to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. In the exact same way, we have to look at Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have to look at him as our source of strength. We have to look at him to protect us. We have to look at him to guide us. And through keeping our focus on him, keeping the focus of our entire lives gazed upon him through this, we will live. Through this, we have the salvation of Jesus Christ. Through this, we shall not perish and have eternal life. Through this, we are not condemned, but through this, we are saved. So today, I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us to be honest with ourselves. I want us to be real in here. That's all I ask for in this room is realness. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you were headed. Well, I care where you're headed. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've been through in order to even get to this room. What I care about is your heart right now in this moment. And what you're saying to yourself, I want you to be real to yourself. And I want you to ask yourself, am I, have I been born again? Is my relationship with Jesus Christ my own? Or is my relationship with Jesus Christ something I was born into? Something I did because it's just what I've always done. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ your parents' relationship? Your brothers, your sisters, your, your significant others? Or is your relationship with Jesus Christ your own? Do you have Jesus Christ in the forefront of your mind Do you focus on Jesus Christ to guide your entire lives? Have you given your life over to Jesus Christ and been born again? Be real with yourself. Because there's no better time than right now. There's no better moment than to self-assess and to see where you're at. 
And so tonight, if you're in here and you're saying, I have never been born again. I have never given my life over to Christ. I grew up in a relationship, or I grew up in a family that knew Christ. I grew up in a Christian household, but I have never known Jesus Christ. I have never been born again. If that is you, I just ask you to raise your hand. It's real simple. Just raise your hand up high so we can see it. I'm going to give you one more shot. If you are in here tonight and you don't know what a relationship with Jesus Christ is and you have never been born again, just raise your hand up high. Awesome. And so tonight, if you're in here and you've been born again, you've been a Christian, you know what it's like to walk with Jesus Christ, you are saved, you know you're saved, but maybe your focus has been a little off. If you're in here tonight and you're saying, man, I used to look at Jesus. He used to be the focus of my life. But man, I've, I've fallen off. I've fallen off the wagon. I've had my focus on other things lately. I've had my focus on guys or girls. I've had my focus on career. I've had my focus on money. I've had my focus on my job. I've had my focus on school. But I've lost focus of Jesus Christ. And tonight I want to regain that focus. If that is you, raise your hand. I see your hands. You can put them down. I'm going to give you guys one more shot. If tonight you want to make yourself right with God, there's no better chance that you will get than right now. There's no better time than right now. If you're saying, I need to get right with God, if that's you, raise your hand up high. I see your hands. You can put them down. Thank you. And so tonight I want everybody all across this place to repeat after me. And I want you to repeat this prayer, everybody. Whether you raise your hand or not, everybody just repeat this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Louder. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, get loud. Thank you, Jesus. This is an awesome thing. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, have your way in my life. Don't get quieter now. Lord, have your way in my life. Tonight I give my life over to you. I rededicate my life to you. Help me to keep my eyes on you. Lord, I want to be born again. I want to be made new. I want to keep my focus on you. Tonight I am saying that I am yours. Amen. All right, you guys can open your eyes. I say this every time I say a prayer in here, every time I have you guys repeat a prayer after me. The power isn't in that prayer. The power is in that prayer was a step in the right direction. And so there wasn't any power within that prayer necessarily. The power is making a public declaration saying, I need to get right with God. Tonight is a new night. Tomorrow and everything coming after that, I will keep my eyes focused on Jesus Christ. That is where the power is. And so tonight, I'm telling you, if you said that prayer, you raised your hand, whether you raised your hand or not, if you said that prayer and you meant it, man, you need to do things to make sure that you're staying focused. 
while you're here at college. College can be tough. Get involved with a small group. Get involved with a local church. Get more involved within Chi Alpha. Talk to the people around you. Get their phone numbers. Hang out with them. Fellowship with them. Have conversations with each other. This is the kind of thing that builds us up as believers and keeps us accountable. If you need a Bible and you don't have a hard copy Bible, come and talk to my wife and I, and we will hook you up. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to gaze upon you. And just as the Israelites gazed upon the bronze snake, Lord, and you saved them, and you kept them safe, and you protected them, Lord, I just ask that you could help us to keep our gaze upon you. That we could keep our sights fixated on you. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us. Lord, that you would keep us safe from the enemy and the things that are trying to cut us down right now. Lord, I pray that within this room and within Chi Alpha, that we could be a body together that we could get to know each other better. Lord, that we would get closer. Lord, we thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross for us. We thank you that we can even be born again. We thank you that it is independent of us and that you have already done all the work. And Lord, help us to keep our sight on you and help us to to guide our paths closer, closer to you. Lord, we love you, and it is in your name we pray. It is in your name that we were even here at Chi Alpha. It is in your name that we even worship and listen to sermons. It is in your name that we fellowship, and it is in your name that we pray.